0: Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom
1: Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is
0: time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We are well into 2019 I have no idea how that happened, but it's really exciting. We have passed the 420 episode mark, and uh, I think we're getting more fun here on the show. I think we're doing a lot more things. We've thrown out the script a lot. Uh, We're interviewing people from a variety of different worlds. And today, uh, we're going to talk humor, because uh, why not? That would be fun. Hey, uh, before we get started, I have to thank one of the sponsors of this episode. So many of you, you offer physical products to your fans and your customers, But mailing it, packing it, that just sucks up all of your precious time. But my friends at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you totally control. And that's who I'm working with to print the Try New Things t-shirts, which you guys are actually buying because you go to trynewthings.shop, and that sends you right over. uh, The order goes right over to the people at Amplifier. They can integrate with your e commerce shop and they help drive your giveaway campaigns. They are great for internet powerhouses and for entrepreneurs who are just starting out. And on demand is great because you don't have to take down a bunch of inventory. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory and Amplifier will handle that for you too. Go over to amplifier.comslash cool things and sign up today. So, speaking of today, like I said, we're going to talk humor. And today's guest, he's been on the show before. But uh, this time, we we talked sales when he was here before. This time, we're going to talk about humor, because not only is Garrison Wynn a professional speaker, a best-selling author, but he started his career doing stand-up comedy. Now, as you know, if you listen to the show, last year, I got invited by another speaker comic friend to go to an open mic night, and... I have done nearly 40 open mic nights at this point, Uh, but I'm not a professional comic. I'm just playing and learning, and boy, there's a lot to learn. It probably takes 4,000 open mic nights before you're any good, but Garrison actually did this for a living, and he knows about humor, and he works it into his speeches and the training that he does for his clients, and so uh, I wanted to talk to him about why humor matters in everything we do, and we'll talk a little business, we'll talk a little speaking, we'll talk a little stand-up, but why does humor integrate into all of that? So Garrison win. Welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me
1: back. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely.
0: So let's let's go back to where you started. I, I love your story of how you ended up doing stand-up. I mean, some people have this big calling and they study it and they they live in New York and they they sleep on couches. You just sort of walked into an open mic night and became a comic. Tell us how you yeah, got but, started in comedy. Well,
1: the main reason I became and got in stand-up, I just lacked other skills, Tom. I just lacked all other skills. It was like not when I was looking for anything specific or particular. I just, you know. I, out of college, was what wasn't very good. Didn't know what I wanted to really do, you know. So I walked into a comedy club. Uh, someone said, hey, you should go do this. You should do open mic, you know, or whatever. So I went and did it, and they said to come back. You should come back. So all right. And I went back, and, it, and I just started screwing around on open mics, and I was uh, earning a living in nine months. And I think that's pretty lucky. I think I got really lucky. Well,
0: it's certainly um, it's certainly the outlier story. I mean, there are people yeah. who who do who tr- pursue this for a decade and never. really Oh yeah.
1: Oh no, people. The minute I started getting booked, everybody I was doing open oh, mics hated my guts. Yeah, I had no love whatsoever. <laughs> there is no
0: love. I I kind of yeah. found when I first showed up at an open mic because I was fifty one years old. Right. I kind of found that nobody wanted to talk to me, and I, I don't know if it was the combination of the fact that I was twice their age, right, or or if it was the fact that I looked like maybe I was a narc because I'm pretty <laughs> clean cut or, or, or if it was the fact that they were like, you know, oh, we've seen people come and go. Cause now they talk to me, the, the people in Austin around the comedy scene, right. they're like, Oh, you're getting better. Oh, I've seen you before. I really like that, that bit you did. But for the first few months, they would look at me like who brought their dad.
1: Yeah, right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and of course, in the idea that you think that you look like a narc and you use the word narc means you're probably over 50 years old. That's a pretty <laughs> good sign. I think. I think I look like a narc. What's, what's a narc? No, but yeah.
0: it, it really was true. I, I realized I was old when this, the second open mic i, I mic night I went to, there were like 40 comics and of course, he right. rearranged the list so all his friends were up front. So I went on like at midnight when there was like me and my two friends left. Right. Uh, and my wife and my daughter who came to see me and like every comic, I mean, they couldn't have been dirtier, raunchier, and they couldn't have right. talked about their dicks more if, right. if we had paid them. And as we walked out, my wife sat, looked at me. We had our 16-year-old with us. My wife's like, worst parenting moment ever. And, <laughs> and my, okay. my 16-year-old was, come on, I'm 16. I've heard dirty jokes before. I just don't have to sit next to my
1: parents when I hear them. Right. But hearing them come out of dad's mouth would be worse. So that was pretty good. It yeah, I kept it somewhat with,
0: PG. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, a couple of things I want to say. I want to lower expectations of the show here today because there's nothing less funny than a show about comedy. <laughs> nothing is less funny when the theme is comedy. There's no, there's nothing funny about that. But I, what I will say, though, I was asked a couple of times over the years, what were the ingredients of being funny? Like what, what made someone funny? Because I showed up and worked. I, I worked on some stuff, but I was getting laughs before I had great bits. I probably – really learn how to be a comedian uh, a year after I started and I was already working. So I think there's something about just being funny, uh, being able to connect to an audience, kind of feeling out the audience, you know, specifically, because it's one thing to be funny under specific circumstances Um, uh, you know, and if if the audience is perfect, go to LA with a trained audience. It's like when I go speak in LA today and they're all laughing and they laugh at every single thing. Uh, They're a trained audience, but to be funny in Oklahoma city at 10 30 and the, you know, what we call it? Eight o'clock was the real show. Ten thirty was a young, dumb, and you what a young, dumb, and drunk show where the crowd was a bit young, a bit drunk, and it was harder. So I, I think that there is something about you know the question ask yourself: Are you funny? And uh, what I've always said is that if you had a really good childhood, you're not funny. Yeah, I think that, that, I think yeah. that's
0: my problem. I think right. I really do. I think that's my problem is I didn't have enough pain. If if you've ever watched the <laughs> Marvel the, the 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 Netflix show, the marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel. One of the right. things they talk about is people who do comics that they're, they're broke, people who go into comedy, they're broken. And, right. and I think, yeah, I think, oh, I wish I was more broken. I'd
1: be funnier. Well, I will say that broken but not broke, and that's something no one wants to talk about. I'll, I'll, I'll approach that. But yeah, um, I think that if you really enjoyed the seventh grade, you're not funny. very difficult to be funny having had that experience. But broke but not, uh, uh, broken but not broke. A lot of ways, and I was that way that I could travel and go on the road, was I didn't have to be making a lot of money out of the gate. And a lot of people, actors and comedians as well, you'll notice they have one thing in common, they're a bit funded, otherwise they have to work. And that's something no one wants to talk about. I mean, I look at all the people I did stand up with, some people I know who are famous, you know, who are in the movies these days, they all had a little bit of funding. You know, you don't hear the rags to riches stories extremely rare when it comes to anything in the entertainment world. That is for sure. But so on the untold story, because yeah, everybody, you start looking in there, you know, go look them up on Wikipedia. And their father was a CEO of something. And I was like, that's pretty
0: good. Yeah, cool. it, it is true because sometimes even in the speaking business, right, you find somebody oh, yeah. and they're like, oh, you know, I, I it took me 10 years and then you find out that their husband or their wife you right. know, is, yeah. is an executive, you know, with, you know, some major company or is a professor at a major university. And it's like, oh, well, wait a right. minute. You
1: never worried about making the mortgage payment. That's Right. Or or you hear him speak and you go, wow, someone's spouse has money because you didn't get here because you're good, because that is not good. So (laughs) I've seen that before. But I think the truth is, is it's all interpretation. I think that you have to it wasn't that tragedy happened to you or it was terrible circumstances. I think it's just the interpretation of life would probably be the best way to explain that. So I don't know you had to have a tragic childhood, but I think maybe your interpretation of your life was that way. So
0: So here's the interesting thing. Like as a speaker, I don't bill myself as, as a humorist, but when I speak, people laugh. Like I, I know I get laughs. And in fact, uh, my friend Jessica Pettit used to do professional stand up in New York, like 15 years ago, and she'd never seen me speak. And, but she has a background. I mean, she actually knew uh, George Carlin and and Robin Williams. And so, you know, she, what was funny about her was she never saw me speak. And two years ago, she was in an audience where I was speaking and she's like, dude, you're funny. And I said, well, I got some laughs. She goes, no. She goes, like, you're funny. And I never thought of it that way. And this is before I started doing the stand-up. But I always had laughs. But the night I went to my first open mic night, I went with Drew Tarvin, who is a speaker on – he speaks on humor in the workplace. And he's he's a professional stand-up and improv guy. And he read over what I was going to do. And he looked at me and he goes, this is speech humor. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes – this is funny like if you're giving a corporate speech, but you don't have any punchlines. Right. So, so yeah. he helped me. Like he saw a couple of them, and he helped me with it. But in the past eight months, one of the things I discovered is I can recognize humor, and I notice that I find it where it can fit into a story. Right. But I can't find funny, and that is like finding the punchline. So I have an entire notebook. Of humorous situations, of things I've observed. Right. But I'm not natural yet, and I think it'll take years. I'm well, not it, natural at going bang. There's the punchline.
1: I'm going to tell you something, and this is something I would have not told. I would have not talked about this five years ago. I just didn't want to do it. I felt I didn't want to help the world that much. Um, I think that I'm surprised in the last few years how I've helped. I don't coach a lot of people, but I do a little bit of that that I'm surprised I can coach people. And after I've written some jokes for them, I write them jokes and talk about why the joke is funny and how the joke is customized to them. And I've written a joke for them based on who they are. They actually can learn that. So I think there is, I'm shocked at how much that is. I, When I was doing stand-up, I got lucky. I I didn't get a lot of help. I was trying to ride a little bit, but I think I, I, you know, I forget what happened. I was at a punchline somewhere. and like Richard Lewis or somebody saw me. I want to take that kid on the road. I mean, that's how lucky that was. But I think that there is bits and pieces to this that you can really construct it because I've seen some people where I thought that person's not funny, but they're about three inches from funny and they don't know it. Right. A premise is one thing. Okay. And And there's lots of great premises, um, when someone says, wow, you got really great premises, that means you're not funny. That's yeah. what that means. Well, goes, I mean, that's the way I feel
0: good. about, that's the way I feel about myself is I can, I can find the premise, but my comedian friends are able to find the punchline really fast.
1: Right. Well, I've always said, if you want to know if, if you weren't funny in your speech, when someone comes up and says, wow, I really enjoyed your content. Again, that means you're not funny. <laughs> uh, if you were funny, they'd say, wow, you were great. <laughs> that's what they would say. Your content was fantastic. But they wouldn't say they enjoyed it. They said, everything was great. Um, so here's a couple of things there's the number one thing is, is that stories and situations are not nearly as funny as the way you actually form the sentence and the last word out of your mouth. So the premise can be funny, but if you, if you, if that last word coming out of your mouth doesn't end with a hard consonant and isn't easy and simple and direct and it, it can be clever but it just ha- it has to really snap and pop. People call that timing. But it was George Carlin a couple of years before he died said that you know uh, it, it's 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 lack of bad timing. You know, it's being able to say something and keep it crisp and snappy. And Carlin's the one that said there's no words that are funny that end in vowels. You know, you have to have something that ends in a consonant. So um, I'll give you an example. This is my most stolen joke. It's been stolen so much, people don't even think it's my joke. I actually wrote this joke like probably in 1982, right? So um, there's a lady down in Florida, and she's a living embodiment of multiple solutions for a single problem because she's a veterinarian and a taxidermist. Yeah, she's the veterinarian and a taxidermist, and her motto is either way you're getting your dog back. Right? So that's the joke. It's so I'm very badly.
0: I, I saw you use that joke in a speech. Ten years ago, when I of first course. met you, you spoke in Austin yeah. at a conference. I was just right. becoming a speaker. I had little doe eyes about, oh, I want to be like Garrison Wynn. Uh, and I saw you use that joke, and I thought it was so well-delivered and so well-crafted. I've, I've laughed at that joke a billion times because I've always, every time I see you, I always think, either way, you get your dog back.
1: Well, there's a guy with it on his video from three years ago that says he wrote it. Anyway, so <laughs> – I'm I'm not getting it's really true.
0: Well, we can call him. I saw it 10 years ago. So if someone wrote if someone wrote it, they had to have, they have to have proof. They did it 11 years ago.
1: Right. But the thing about it is, is that the premise and you, you'll get a laugh and sometimes bigger than others is when I say, uh, you know, let's use a a veterinarian and a taxidermist. I pause, let the laugh happen. And then I said, her motto is either way, you're getting your dog back. So I use that joke as a a formulaic idea. Because what's important about that is the premise was clear. It was entertaining and clear. The joke is delivered in a way that you know exactly what I'm talking about. The whole idea is clear. And when I say either way, you're getting your dog back. It's just a very short. It's a it's a real punchline.
0: And taxidermist is just a funny word unto right. itself. Right, it's, it's I mean, a funny I, word. I just smile oh. when I when I think about taxidermist. That's right.
1: So oh. um, you know, and so it's. It's the idea of how quick it's delivered. Here's another thing. And this is very simple. I do this when I'm speaking. I said, how many people here watch late night TV? You see things on late night TV? And by the way, this is a joke I would say that many comedians do, um, meaning that it's such a a basic thing. And that's the problem with jokes like this is that they're just – they're considered hacky jokes. I mean, I can say I came with this joke on my own. I think I did, but I don't think that's – I think other people have done it too. But, you know, and I said, okay, watch late night TV – um, and you see things uh, that, that may, that, maybe, uh, maybe uh, may true but aren't very believable, like how to lose weight without dieting or exercise. And that pretty much just leaves disease. There's no other way. <laughs> so the thing is, is that what makes that joke funny is that it's, there's a it's level of clever to it, but the punchline is simple. It's easy. What I'm seeing people do these days and some young guys trying to explain a funny story, thinking somehow That the situation is so funny that the way the words are delivered doesn't matter. And I actually heard a guy say, "He goes, well, I don't really deliver that punchline the same way every time. Well, then you don't have a joke. I'm sorry. That that's why it's not funny. Well, (laughs) the
0: the the other thing I think a lot of it is is learning how to pause. And I think this matters whether you're a comedian or a speaker or if you're just sitting in a board meeting. I mean, I found that learning how to pause is is really key and really important because i had a joke the other day and i delivered the punchline at this open mic night and i forgot what was next in my set and i hadn't written it in sharpie i'd I'd forgotten a sharpie so my little set list was just written in pen well i'm 52 years old i can't see the damn list at a glance unless i use like big letters and so i had to like stop and look over and in the time it took me to glance at my set list the punchline hit with the audience. And I thought, there it is. There it it's is. That, right. it's right. that extra four, three or four seconds that it took me to know where to go next is when the audience, just, they just started busting up. And right. then I, and I started to laugh and I kind of looked at him. I'm like, right. I, kinda, I go, I kind of liked that when I wrote it. And then they laughed really hard because it was, it was kind of just this like shared moment, but it was oh,
1: all, yeah. it was all in the pause, the pause. Yeah, was really absolutely. Yeah. It, it, you know, you hear people talk about the pause, and I'm, I think I heard a speaker who gave a speech called The Power of the Pause, which was kind of weird, but the pauses are so powerful. I've got this thing I do, and I've done it for probably the last you know, 10 years or so, where I talk about that intelligence is really not the thing, that the most successful people aren't really the most intelligent of all. As a matter of fact, when you look at IQ tests amongst you know leaders, it's interesting because the average IQ uh, for a CEO is 105, 110, 115, and average IQ for middle management 115, 121, 25. So you think your boss is stupid. I get the laugh right there. (laughs) So so when I say just smart enough to be your boss, that's the tag. I get a second laugh on that. So what I did was the punchline was actually smart to be your boss, but it's not nearly as funny as the actual pause.
0: Hey, Garrison, I want to go a little deeper into this and tie it back to the the regular entrepreneur and and take this idea of humor into the workplace. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Garrison Wynn. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Garrison, why does humor matter in the workplace?
1: Well, I think that what happens is that people get tense and concerned and worried and stressed and bored. That's tense, concerned, worried, stressed, and bored. And if someone is humorous, it, it can alleviate or eliminate that situation as far as a barrier to people being willing to listen. And I I think it's really effective. I've seen some leaders who were short in about all the areas it takes to be a great leader, but because they were entertaining and didn't take themselves too seriously and said some funny things, they just had the ear of the people. They were the favorite leader, the favorite boss, the favorite teacher. I mean, there's just the the track record for this is amazing of all the people who because they had a humorous approach j- people just like what they said and it's you always remember and enjoy what you liked learning you, you, you can't remember what you had for breakfast two days ago you remember a joke from 1984 I mean that's <laughs> the truth and so there's probably nothing that gets people to remember more of what was said and feel that the moment was special absolutely no doubt about it so yeah
0: so, so it's one thing, though, to, to learn about using humor in a speech or going to open mic night and learning to look for the funny. I mean, you know, stuff like that. But how do, how do we do that in just our day-to-day lives in business? How, how, how do you look for humor? How do you find
1: what's appropriate in business to be funny? Well, well, well comedy is truth only faster. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the truth. And so it, it, some things, if you're being honest, really honest about yourself and self-revealing and honest about the situation, then it can be funny. Um, I think that these days the word appropriate is a bit different than it means in the past. You know, appropriate, I think, in the past was not to say something that was directly offensive. Um, and today, I think appropriate could mean be careful what you say, no matter what it actually is, because you don't know what's appropriate or not. So that's I think it's a different thing. I, 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 for me personally, I have decided uh, that um, I just have to do what I do the best I can do it. Um, and I've had to, you know, I've had to be careful. I think there are things that you could probably say five years ago in a speech. You probably can't say today, but there are some some things you could say today. You couldn't say before. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to measure that. I will say that, that being too careful and having too much of a filter of being careful, it's likely you might not tell the exact truth and it might be less funny. There's just no doubt about that. So I think you have to weigh that and balance it something.
0: Well, it, you know, it's interesting to me because one of the things that, that I see is like in comedy, I see like, I think funny should be funny. And I, and I see a lot of these comics who I see out at, out at clubs really trying to watch what they say oh, yeah. to, oh, yeah. to not be offensive. And I think in the workplace, it's worse, right? I mean, you know, we have to be yeah. careful in the, in the, in the world that, that we live in. So yes, absolutely. So, you know, how, how do you have that little filter and, and still have that freedom?
1: I think it's very difficult, but I think, again, if you're just talking about what's real and what's true, and you have to know what they believe, if you know what other people value and what they believe and where their values are, then you can probably say things that are entertaining and relatively safe. It's when we don't know people very well or what they think or believe in. I think that's where the issue is. I think a lot of speakers run into trouble like that. I think a lot of CEOs run into trouble when they don't know enough. They haven't done employee surveys. They don't really know employee opinions. They get up and say things that they maybe they think are funny, but they don't really know what the, the people in the in the in the audience. They don't really don't know what their employees believe. And you have to ask questions, do surveys, and listen. Yep, it sounds so simple, but when we do research, I work with Pew and Harvard Review and, and Gallup. We get some help from those guys in our research. We find out that knowing what people believe and actually listening to what they have to say and getting their opinions. And where they can see their uh, input in your solution, it makes all the difference in the world. And, 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 and th- if that's the case, they'll forgive you if you say something that is on the line. That's the truth.
0: So going back to sort of when you got up on stage at, a, at an open mic night. So the thing that's been most amazing to me is how many people when they find out that, you know, less than a year ago, I jumped up on a stage in New York and did this. And then I've been doing it every week ever since. They're like, I never I would never do that. And yet you did it when you were just out of college. you know right. I waited. I wanted to do it back then. I waited twenty five years and didn't do it till I was over fifty. But what does it take to get people to be able to to get past that fear? because I think i mean i've I've acted. I've been in a short movie. I did all kinds of theater in high school. Right. Uh, I've taken improv classes. Uh, I've done uh, speech and debate type stuff when I was in college and things. and then obviously, I, I work as a professional speaker, and I host. This podcast, and I've been a guest on a hundred plus podcasts, right? So I understand the spoken word in general. I will tell you, I think stand-up comedy, I think it's the hardest use of the of the spoken word that's out there because there's there's no forgiveness. You're either funny or you're not, and that's right, funny. Yeah. You got to be funny again twenty seconds later, right? But what do you, what do you, would you tell someone who has that? fear because I think entrepreneurship and comedy have a lot in common. The more I study it, the more I realize that there's risk involved and success just comes down to success, you know, and you're going right. to fail more than you succeed. So if someone is scared to do something like maybe go to an open mic night or launch their company, whatever it is, how do you get past that fear? What made you able to do this?
1: Well, so if you want to get, this is the real part. This is where the show gets real. am going to get real. All right. Ready? Okay. So the truth is, is the only way you're willing to get on stage and put yourself out there is because you want attention. You're going to have to really have a very strong personal desire for attention. If you don't really have that desire to be heard, you don't really have that desire to be in public. If you don't really want all that attention, it's going to be difficult to get up there. That is a fact. And so that attention, that need for attention drives people to do those things. And not everybody has that. Not everybody needs that or wants that, and that's okay. But the truth about it is how do you get past that? How did that person actually do that? I've seen the shyest, most unassuming people in the world who were just wallflower people, and they got up there because deep down inside, no matter what their conduct was or what they said about themselves, they wanted attention. So it's, ed-
0: it's interesting that you bring it up because I, I, people ask me all the time how I became a speaker, and I tell them as a kid I wanted to be an actor. And right. I had this desire. I mean, I did, I did all the high school. I did community theater. I, I right. got all involved with it, but I didn't have, I didn't have the balls. I didn't have the guts. And I certainly didn't have anyone who exposed me to it. Like if I had had a cousin or someone who had gone to Hollywood right. and was in a sitcom, I might've done it. Cause I would've had somebody I could have said, well, what do I have to do? But we didn't have the internet back in the eighties. I, I didn't right. know how to do it. And so I never, I just never did it, but I right. wanted to. And here's the saddest part of the whole thing. I grew up in Los Angeles. So it's like I kicked right. myself that I literally grew up 14 miles from Hollywood and Vine, and I right. never ventured over to that side of town. I never stuck my toe in the water. I didn't. Right. Even, I didn't even half-ass try. I just didn't do it. So I have that desire inside of me, and I, and I coach a guy who has that desire, and he's embarrassed by it. And I'm like, "Don't be embarrassed by it. It's just part of who you are." So you know, you want you want to do something big, go figure out what it yeah. is, and and don't wait till you're 50 right. to admit that you're there. But in our business as speakers, and I think being a speaker fills that little piece of me that wanted to be an actor, and this podcast does certainly because people you know listen to it and they send me notes about it. But here's the interesting thing. I run into other professional speakers all the time, and they're like – when we talk about it, they go, oh, it's not about me. It's all about serving the audience, and my answer always is bullshit. I don't, think, I don't think you could stand up and do what we do week after week and go through security and get on the planes if you didn't like – being on stage
1: well you're right you have to really like it and want it and then people ask me you know you you do 85 86 90 events in a year you're on an airplane why would you fly why would you do that i mean you know I mean, yeah, you're making money. And I've been very fortunate making money. But the thing about it is, it's more than that. I mean, you, you, there's a lot of things you can do to make money. You know, you can make money many ways. You don't have to be on an airplane continually and, and have all the pressure. You walk in, there's a meeting planner. You're doing a mic check. They've got pressure, people pressure. You know how it goes. You know, you know how this business is. There's a lot of pressure. Why would you put yourself in that kind of situation over and over and over again? It's because you want the attention. You want to be on stage. And these people who say it's not that are full of it. I won't mention any names or any organizations, but I've heard more bull crap. Can I say, can I say bull crap on your show? I've heard more crap. About this, well, you know, but no, shut up. You want attention like everybody else. Stop trying to, you know, that you. I could line up with a a thousand industrial psychologists that all agree with me. So just stop talking about it.
0: I love the fact that you said bullcrap and then you're like, can I say bullcrap? And then you changed it to just. Crap. You realize yeah. bull was not the part of that sentence.
1: I, listen, I don't want to fill bull, bull, think Bull was not
0: the part that could have been the problem. I like the way you rephr- are, rephrased bulls it. Are good,
1: bulls are good people. We don't give enough credit. I don't want to. There's a whole group of bulls that have been really <laughs> mistreated very much. I don't want to offend any bulls out there. Crap is crap. That's so
0: I got, I got a question for you. You've been very successful as a corporate speaker and, and, and trainer and, and all that. But I have a question for you. So you made money as a comic and you traveled yeah. as a comic. If you had to pick one or the other, but you could have the same amount of money, would you have stayed in comedy and not gone to the speaker side? Or do you like what you do on the speaker side?
1: So here's the things I wouldn't have said years ago about that. And I'll say it now. Um, I stopped doing stand up for a very specific reason. And that is I didn't like it that much. And I didn't like what was around it. The people were difficult. Uh, I made a couple of movies. Because the speaking world, the people aren't difficult. No, they trust me in the speaking world. They're much better. <laughs> so in the speaking world, they're just kind of, uh, um, I guess the word. I don't want to talk about that. No, 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 no. Don't no, go Nothing guys say to be good, but I'm saying. But the show business that, that I experienced in the time with the the drugs and the the things that were happening, um, I made a couple of movies. And the best way I can describe the movies I made is when you look at the dailies, you're like, oh, this is going direct to video for sure. Um, so that kind of thing um and, and they're going to so if somebody out there looks up a movie I just I'm sorry uh, I,
0: I got to go to IDBM and find do Garrison it. Wynn. We got to do it I got to find as soon as we finish uh, this don't, As soon not, as we please. I'm
1: renting them it's following me around. It, 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 it One of the movies got like a cult following. Like, how could, can't it just die? Can't the movie die like a miserable death? Because it's an awful movie.
0: I, I will link to that in the show Stop notes.
1: It. Stop it. You should. You better edit this part out. This is hopefully, what's his face? Carl and Jimmy or Johnny, your editor guy, to edit that thing out. Timmy, Tommy, whatever his name was. Um, Anyway, I forgot what we're talking about now. I've lost my train of thought. Well, okay. if, you,
0: if you could if you could have uh, had the same success level, would you have stayed right. in the show business so, or the speaker business?
1: Here's what happened. I won't name the person. I was working with someone famous who had a big-time TV show in the 70s, and they were a famous person. Everyone knew this person was, and they were after the show was over. They couldn't get the rest of their career going, and they were with me one day at the Comedy Rendezvous in Amarillo, Texas. And I'm thinking, wait a second. This guy is a big, well-known name, and he and I are both – at the comedy rendezvous in Amarillo, Texas. (laughs) And it it occurred to me that the problem with comedy was you could be super famous and then work your way back to where you started. (laughs) So here's a story I will use a name because the guy is irreversibly dead. Um, So uh, I was uh, at a hotel and there was a lineup of 10 comics. Back in those days, the comedy store that had to show like 10 comics at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and Mitzi would pay you some kind of bad, terrible money. So anyway, but uh, this was a was it Las Vegas? Actually, it was a 10 person show and the, all these comics uh, were you know doing it. And, and there's some famous people there. But before I got up there, this guy got up there and I kid you not, he was 85 years old. He could barely walk onto the stage. He was so old. And I, I couldn't believe this guy was like, you know, who is this guy? And he gets up there and he starts doing this, you know, kind of old Catskill Mountain kind of thing. And it was bad. His first two minutes, like we're thinking, okay, this is the corniest guy ever. At minute three, he starts to kill, and this guy's funny. And what I remember he said was, he said, "I died in 1985, and nobody told me." That's what he said. Old guy, he's going on, and it—he's doing six, seven minutes. At minute five, he's the best guy out there. He's crushing it, his old dude. And I'm like, who is that? And they go, that's Shecky Green. Shecky Green is not dead. No, that <laughs> is Shecky Green. So, you know, he was just the, I don't know if you know who this guy was. He was a big star, big, big star back in the day. And there he is in the 80s, in his 80s on stage. I'm, I'm, so, sure,
0: I'm sure my parents knew who Shecky Green was. They I'm used sure, to, my yeah, parents like, used to go to Vegas in the 70s and go to right. all these like seedy, seedy bars where like, you know, Don Rickles got his start and things that's like right, that. Right.
1: But if you, if you know who Shecky Green is, you're either dead or dying soon. That's the truth about Shecky Green. <laughs> so the thing is, is it, that those things made me realize that I was in a business that the most likely result was to possibly go up. And I was on the way up. I worked with a guy named Mitch Hedberg. And we were doing a bunch of stuff and it was going well. And, uh, you know, we, I was kind of going up and I didn't like it. So between lifestyle situations at the comedy condo and that life and the people I'm running into and a lot of stories I can't tell on your show, um, because just like every bad 80s movie, um, because of everything that was going on at the time and because I could I could actually see the future of how things just went back to where they were, I didn't like that. And then I realized there were four or five or six comedians that were actually getting somewhere and doing things, and there were 175 of us on the road. Uh, you know what I mean? Maybe 200. And I'm like, wow, wow. And to be fair, I have to say I was nobody. And if you went to your local comedy club in a large city, I would have been the middle. You got a a opener guy who's local comes out. You got the middle guy that's 35 minutes. He's pretty good. You get the headliner. I was mostly a middle. Uh, So if you ever saw me in New York, if you saw me in LA, if you saw me in Houston or San Francisco or wherever it was, I'd have been the second person out in a small, if you live in a really small Crappy town, I was a headliner. If you lived in if you lived in uh uh what, what, what is it uh Arkansas, I was a headliner. So um, but the thing is, is I was going places, I was starting to headline more, and I got asked, why are you stopping? I did some corporate gigs. I made more money in an hour than I could in a week doing stand-up. And when I did the corporate gigs, they asked me back, it spun from one to the next. I had gone back. I got tired. I, I, I took a break. I, I went back in corporate America, which i worked in a little bit um, and got some opportunities um, in corporate America. And I got a job because my boss made the biggest mistake ever. And that was he didn't understand what his people valued. I worked for him and they fired him and gave me his job. I was a 27-year-old VP of a big company. I got very lucky with that. And so I went down that road and I I took the opportunity. But I will tell you, what helped me a lot with my inexperience and being too young and all my employees being older than I was, I was the youngest person in my department and ran it. Right? Was I was funny. I told good stories. I made things fun and funny. My employees, for what I lacked in my abilities, they enjoyed me. And I didn't take myself too seriously. And as big as my ego ever is or was, mm-hmm. um, it didn't show up for them in that way. They, they, I, I, I was definitely connecting them as someone who didn't take myself too seriously. So I think it helped a lot. So,
0: well, I, I, have to say, like my, my goal with doing open mic night isn't, isn't that I'm gonna go become a professional comic. I don't expect ever to make right. twenty five bucks at it. Although I did get asked to do a showcase uh, in Phoenix at, at a bar that I'd gone to twice when I was there, uh, keynoting you know, I've started going open mic nights when I'm in a town. I just Google open mic night. And I went in April when it was like my seventh time ever doing it. And then I went back at like my 28th time. And the guy who ran the open mic night was like, don't you live in Texas? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you got a lot better. And after I did yeah, my, after yeah. I did the set, he goes, you ever here on a Sunday night? And uh, I said, yeah. And he, and I'm going to be here. You know, it, it'll, it'll actually have already happened by the time this episode airs, it's in January. And he goes, look, I do a Sunday night invite only show. He goes, I'll give you seven to 10 minutes. uh, If you email me, if you want to do it. And so I'm toying at the time that we're recording this, I'm toying with doing it just because that's going to be harder than an open mic night. It just pushes me a little bit out, but I don't expect ever to do a show where they're going to pay me. However, I have learned more in the last few months, not only about like timing and and humor and stuff that it's working its way in. When I work as a master of ceremonies uh, at like an association conference, I I did it the same association three years in a row And just a few months ago, they're like, obviously we like you. We've had you back twice, but you you were better this year. And I'm not doing jokes, but just my playfulness and my my timing. Right. Yeah. I've learned. And so I'm learn I'm learning that. But I also think I'm learning a lot more about business and I'm learning a lot more about myself. So I'm trying to find out the parallels between, you know. The, the world of stand and, and business. Cause I think it's also, in addition to the timing, I think it's helping me be a
1: better entrepreneur. So I think so too. I think, I think, I think what you're saying is very, very true. And I think people don't do it that way. So, so I agree. So
0: let's that. talk about those parallels between comedy and entrepreneurship.
1: Well, I, I think it's about risk about putting yourself out there and the willingness and how much you want to do it. I mean, uh, we talked about the attention that you want. Well, how much do you want to run the show? how much do you want to be your own boss? How important is it to you? You know um, what I, uh, when I, 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 I went back into comedy after doing some corporate stuff and then decided I, again, I got kind of dragged back into it. Someone said, well, you, we want to go in the road to I said, I agreed. And the money was actually good. Um, and it was a person who wasn't famous for who'd gotten famous since then. I said, why well, should do this? Um, but in the end um, I went back into corporate America and um, I left and I left everything comedy and corporate America totally in 1995. And when people ask me why did you go into business for yourself like that and just leave it, leave everything you'd been doing and go into that. uh, My answer has always been, I just got tired of making other people rich. You know, was my answer. That's not the full answer. That's, that's, that's the, that's the radio show answer. That's the uh, podcast answer. The real answer is I, I really I wanted more control of my own destiny and I wanted the flexibility and I like being able to get in front of an audience and having a point and, and having some content and being able to deliver that in a funny, entertaining way. I loved it and it paid. I, I was doing, it really brought everything together for me. I really liked speaking at conventions. I like the way that I do it and uh, enough people like it for, I can earn a living for a long, this my 23rd year doing it. And that's what it was for me. I mean, it just brought all that stuff together. And um, you know, uh, it's interesting what people would say about me, and that is, and of course, this was the most egotistical thing every speaker shows. What people say about me uh, <laughs> is they say, you know, you have you have a lot of content. You're very research based, and you do it funny. And we don't see that a lot. When someone comes with a lot of research, it's normally not funny. And I. I I, I do research on the real, like I did some research and here's the research. I do the research you know. I do that and I, I make it entertaining and funny and people laugh and um, I build, you know, people say we can definitely tell you where a stand if You have that style, but I mix that with real stuff and I, I bring real content. Now I can vary it. Sometimes I'm speaking at a conference and it's after lunch and they say, listen, we just, we saw you. We, you know, just, you got 40 minutes, just be funny. And I've done some of that, but most of what I do, um, you know, I just, I just, uh, I did my third Walmart and, and I'm talking about leadership. I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about, um, having the influence it takes to be able to drive anything forward. How does a leader or anyone get enough buy-in that whatever the idea is, it's the idea that people want to move forward. Uh, influence is about being able to have any idea, good, bad, or indifferent be chosen. And I think, it's, it's an interesting idea about the whole thing because people, why, why, is, why, why is this terrible, horrible thing we're doing? Why, why are we doing it the stupid way? Because the person that pitched it had influence. <laughs> they were personally influential. So I think that's the key. Um, and how do you get there? I talk about that just like you talk about what you talk about. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think it, uh, it's a big deal. And it, I'm, I'm just, I feel lucky to be able so, to do it. So. so when you were
0: doing stand-up, did you do a lot of crowd work or were you more sort of scripted? Oh. I was I did both.
1: I did both. And and I did mm. it's interesting. I I, I don't I don't know how it developed. It developed, I think, out of an open mic with other comics in the audience. But I, you know, I had a couple club owners go, I really like your act. So for God's sakes, do your act. But I almost did uh, In a 45-minute set, I'd do seven, eight, nine minutes in in the crowd. And it it worked very, very well. I still do that today.
0: So and that's something. I haven't started doing that in my open mic nights, but I've been watching the comics who do really good crowd work, both when I go to a show or if it's on their Netflix special or just in an open mic. And I've noticed that I'm able to do it uh, in the interactive sections, again, not comedy, not going after anybody in the audience, but I'm much more playful with audiences in the last couple of months. And at the corporate stuff, people like it a lot better. So that's another, that's another right. skill where I think if you can learn that banter uh, with people, uh, you know, I think that helps you in everything you're doing. I mean, that
1: helps you at, is, a di- at a dinner is,
0: party. It right. helps you.
1: But there's a warning label on crowd work as a corporate speaker. And that is a lot of people fear that because there are a lot of people who don't understand that the audience has to take you in a certain way so unless you've made fun of yourself unless it's really clear that you have made fun of yourself and you have been the butt of the joke you're not going to get away with crowd work with the corporate crowd right Because i've seen that too many times where the they go they go we had this you know speaker that did this and i and i, and I said well i did the same thing like why not he said, well the way you did it then you find out oh well yeah. You realize that you, you were, you made fun of yourself first. It was very clear. You didn't take yourself too seriously. And then, yeah. You know.
0: So, so as, as we wrap this up, what's the last sort of piece of advice or, or, or nugget of information about, about comedy or humor that you want to share with everybody? What's the last two cents?
1: Uh, well, a couple of things. Number one, it's hard to be funny in certain rooms. If the room is too big, if the chairs are spread too far apart, if the room is too dark, it's very difficult. That is not an environment for, for comedy. And a lot of people understand why this person was funny here, funny here, funny here, and not funny there. Uh, if your mic is too loud, no one that laughs at a really loud mic. Hmm. So you want people sitting together. Uh, you want the tables not to be too spread, spread too far apart. You want to do a real live mic check where they can hear it but not too loud. And the reason I say this is I've seen some people who are pretty funny. They don't understand that. They don't know why it's not working. So there's that. You, you've got to set yourself up. Um, giant cavernous rooms, are a disaster for standard. You just don't have the energy. And you well, just, it's just, a disaster.
0: It's a disaster for a speech. I mean, I was, oh, in, yeah. I was in there a are. room once where there were a hundred people in a room that could have held a thousand and they had the yeah. trade show set up around the outside, but then they had the chairs so far back. It was like a moat. And it was like, oh, yeah. I just never connected with that audience.
1: Well, I was going to tell you, uh, you need to be five feet from the front row. If you are 15 feet from the front row, it's going to be very difficult. Now, a lot of times i speak, I'm up on the big IMAG monitors and these 15 or 20 feet by 20 feet monitors. And you think, well, that's okay. And the meeting is like, no, I still want to pit. I want to be five feet. And for that 400 people out of 2000 looking directly at me, you've got to have an audience. There's no substitute for an audience. Absolutely. So that, that, those are the tips. The other thing I would say is that, uh, keep on the, the realm of, uh, truth, 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 if you're talking about something that's really true, that means the audience has probably had a similar experience and people laugh at stuff they relate to. Absolutely. So
0: well, and that's that's advice that translates just into regular business and 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 regular life is you know, people want to, you know, they want to connect to people who are like them. I mean, I think 20 right. years ago, maybe when you started even in the speaking business, there was sort of the sage from the stage mentality. They wanted right. someone really smart who stood up there with the tablets and told everybody. Right. Now people want a peer who's gonna who's going to talk to them like they're one of them. And I think that's true if you're in sales. You know Nobody wants you to come in and be too big for your britches. I think they want you to be they – want, they want peer-to-peer conversation more than ever before.
1: It's funny that you said that because I, I do a lot of uh, stuff in management where I have like high-ranking people. I just did a bunch of high-ranking government people, CEOs and all that. And I had a CEO who I think thought he was being um, – I don't know what he thought he was being, but the way he said it. Um, and he said, he goes, you know, the reason I think you've done so well with this crowd the two or three times you've been here over the years is because you don't think you're a genius. <laughs> and all these people do. <laughs> they think they're geniuses. Right. right. So you know, whatever that whatever, I mean, I think he was calling me stupid, but he right. paid me like yeah. three times. You,
0: you do so. really well because you're not as smart as we are.
1: Right. Yeah. He wrote he wrote me the check three times. So I wasn't going to say anything.
0: You know, I have a motto. I have one rule in my business, and that is I cash all checks <laughs> every single time. Hey, Garrison, thanks for coming back on the show. This was fun, and this is uh, sort of what I'm doing in 2019 as I'm trying to throw, the way, th- throw away the script and just have more just human-to-human conversations, so thanks for jumping on.
1: Well, that's what we're doing, and I've got a podcast coming up. Myself and Brian Carter will start our podcast next year, and it's very interesting. We had a podcast called Chaos Pie. It was very well on iTunes. We're kind of redoing something like that. We've got the time, so we'll be doing that stuff from the road. So we're learning from you, Tom. learn from you, we've I, learned from your podcast. I, uh,
0: several months back, I had a great dinner with Brian. He's another guy with a comedy background, and uh, he gave me a lot of a lot of good tips uh, around this line as well. So uh, I can't cool. wait to hear your new show. Yep. Awesome. Well, again, I say it every time. Thanks to Garrison, but also thank you to all of you who tuned in and listened. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Uh, we come back at you. We do one interview every week now, and on Tuesdays, it's just me uh, talking. But the interesting thing is, is people seem to like those episodes, so I keep doing them. Uh, but if you have any comments, <laughs> any thoughts, any any feedback, go ahead and email me at tom at tomsinger.com. Uh, also, if you like the show, jump over and leave a review on iTunes. It just makes me happy when there's new reviews. Uh, If you want to get a shirt, the Try New Things shirts, people like those. You can get that at trynewthings.shop. Otherwise, uh, check me out at tomsinger.com and we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Garrison Wynn. I know you're thinking, what? How will you ever find somebody that cool? But I always do. But in the meantime, go out there and try your own new things and while you're at it, Have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at tom.singer.